bit of a health issue until Jesus came along. So we're picking up the story where, so remember that Lazarus was the, um, the brother of Mary and uh, Martha. Mary was a lady who was at uh, the feet of Jesus who poured the expensive perfume over him. And so we pick up the story where things have not gone well for Lazarus and Jesus comes into their presence. So let's pick it up in 32. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet. One of the commentators that I read found it interesting that every time this woman meets Jesus, she falls at his feet. And said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So these people had faith. They knew who Jesus was. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews that had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come, see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Probably one of the shortest and most powerful sentences you'll ever see in your life. Then the Jews said, see how he loves him. But some of them said, could not he, have, he, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more, deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Remind you of anything? Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there will be a bad odour. He has been there four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. Then he had, when he, sorry, had sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped in straps and linen and cloth across his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes clothes and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed in him. Pretty good story, eh? I find it an amazing story, actually, when I read this. And I love when I see Jesus become passionate about things. There's not many times, a lot of times he walked around like I am, and, you know, he was very much about his father's business. But there are these times, like the lead-up to his crucifixion and areas like this, that he was deeply moved. I think we we must remember that, you know, he was a man and he was deeply moved at times. What would you say to me if I suggested to you this morning that we can do as amazing miracles as this? Would you think that I was a bit strange if I said that to you this morning? (laughs) Even more strange than normal. Do we believe in and do we expect the supernatural? Is it something that in our daily walk that we expect? Or is there room in our life for miracles? Yeah, in this day and age. You know, we have science, we have knowledge, we have great understanding. Is it only for naive people or people that, you know, live in uneducated countries and stuff that this stuff could happen? Or is it something that we should actually believe in? 
It fascinates me when you look at the life of Christ. He seems to be, it seems to be signified or framed in a reference of constant outworkings of miracles. This wasn't once-off events, yeah? This was something that was daily in his walk. There was miracles over nature where wind was stopped, where he turned water into wine and he walked on water. There was miracles of supply where he fed 5,000 and 4,000, where he said, cast the net on the other side. There was miracle over healing. There were so many miracles over healing of blind people, of leprosy, of people that had died. Yeah? There was miracles over demonic power. Yeah? So, um, where he cast out demons and he cast out legions of demons. Let's read in John 21, 25. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have enough room in the books to write down what had been done. Now, I don't know, maybe that was written by a guy who was a fisherman. Who wrote that? <laughs> maybe he was exaggerating. But the reality is there were so many. This, though we only see, what is it, 37 or something of the miracles in the book, the reality is there were so many. This was something that happened all of the time. They wrote down some examples of it, but the reality was it happened all of the time. In fact, they said, this is how you will know who Jesus is. It says in Acts 2, 22, Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God by, to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. So this testified to who God was. This, is, this, this was God's way of saying, this is my person because this is what he did. And he walked around in this all of the time. So my question to us this morning is, when we say we want to be like Jesus, do we really want to be like Jesus? Do we really want to walk in everything that he walked in? Because I think many of us say, I want to be like Jesus, but when it comes to this sort of area... now. Let me say that I don't stand up here in any great authority in this, yeah? This area has challenged me personally more than any area that I have, yeah? And I don't stand here as a person that can give you great testimonies of great things that I've done in this. I have vague little things that have, may have happened or may not have, you know? But I, it's an area that, I, that challenges me greatly and I want to present it to you this morning. I think most of my walk has been very cerebral. It's been very much I've reasoned God out and I, I've argued in reasoned way. But I want to walk in a level that is just deeper than that. I don't, like I said, I don't walk in it and I don't walk in any authority in this, but I have a desperate longing, yeah? I see it. I, there's a wonder in me. There's a deep desire to see it, to walk like he did. I see a glimpse of it, yeah? I see glimpses of it. And to be fair, for me personally, I think that it shows a maturity level. I think it shows a maturity level of how we walk in our faith and the, the belief we have in our Saviour. When we, when we walk in this stuff, it makes us step out of our comfort zone. We don't just, oh, we live a nice life and hope people watch us and oh, hopefully they'll be attracted to God because I'm a good person. Let me tell you, if you looked at me half the time, you'd probably think, oh my goodness, is he really a Christian? Sometimes our example isn't always going to be the best, is it? But I think that sometimes these things can really do that. So today, all I can really offer to you is a bit of a review or an overview of this subject. Um, and I would just, I hope that we can lean in and sort of get into it. Now, some people look at me and they say, okay, well, Jesus, he was sort of part of God, really, wasn't he? You would probably expect that he would walk around and do these things because he was part of God. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 12, 12. This is Paul talking about himself. I've persevered in, I have persevered in demonstrating among you the marks of the true apostle, including signs, wonders, and miracles. 
So the followers of Jesus, when he went, walked around and did the same things. Look at the book of Acts. There was many acts that they did that were exactly the same as what Jesus did. They raised people from the dead. They healed people. They did all the same things that he did when he was walking around. It's a fantastic book to look through. In fact, Jesus said this to people when he left. In John 14, 12 to 14, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these. Because I am going to the Father, so I will do whatever you ask in my name, so the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in, in my name, and I will do it. This is the Son that is at the right hand of God now. No one has seen God, but he is at the right hand of God. And he says to us, if we ask of him, we will, he will give it to us. Imagine if we just rested in that. If we just rested in that truth didn't complicate it and actually just believed it and walked it out. Yeah? I think that's a pretty powerful thing. Because I think when you actually look at what happened, what the the effects of miracles were in people's lives, I think it would be something that we would probably try to yearn for. This is just a bit of a brief sort of thing, what miracles ended up doing, okay? And when we talk about miracles and wonder, okay, the miracles of our Lord are at one at the one and the same time, a, visi- a, vis- a visible manifestation of the divine God. Yeah? It is God's inaction. That's what a miracle is. And then there is this awe-inspiring spectacle, the wonder. This is that thing that stops people and goes, oh my goodness, what was that? Yeah? And then and it um, instructs a revelation about God. There's a deeper meaning. That's the sign they talk about. So unless a miracle is attributed to God, then it doesn't really do anything. All it can be is just seen as a trick. But the reality is if we link that amazing act to God, then it becomes something really quite deeper and it is a sign and a miracle. And I think there are some characteristics, again, that we need to look at when we think about miracles in our Lord. First of all, we need to look at the things that are written in the Bible as true historical events. Yeah? When we look at what Christ did and worked out and what the apostles worked out, this wasn't, these weren't analogies, these weren't stories. He used a lot of analogies, but when they were talking about these things, the boys, when they signed the bottom of the letters, said this is true Things, I've seen these done, yeah? So I think, first of all, we need to think, are these, you know, read these things and believe that they are true. Then when we look at them, yeah, they were personal. They came out of compassion. They were accomplished most of the time in an instant. Yeah, they were personal. They met a need. They were simple. And most of the time, they were by faith. They were either by faith of the person doing it. So remember, most of the time when these things are outdone, it's actually the person's faith that's doing it more than the person's faith that's there, yeah? There are a lot of times when it is your faith, Jesus' faith, when he had things, he just did it because it was of his faith. Then there are people who push out of the way to get to Jesus, yeah, to get it. So there are people who have faith for it. And then there are people who just ask for it on other people's behalf, as in Mary and Martha and stuff who did, okay? But the reality is most of these things work out in faith. And they're not done at request. Remember when Jesus was pulled in front of Herod, was it? And he said... I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to perform a, mirror, a little, an act for you in front of you, yeah? It's not for that. That's not what Jesus wanted to do. And they were done out of grace, always done out of grace. They didn't expect anything in return. They didn't, they didn't expect a person to act in a certain way, and then I will bless you with something. More often than not, it was people that didn't really in any way deserve it, yeah? It was done out of compassion. What did they say about Jesus? Look how much he cares about these people. So let's look at what are the purposes of miracles. I think the first thing is that they attract people to God. 
Remember the end of the story. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed in him. There was that wonder. And if you actually read the story in context, after this, some of the Jews went away and told the Sanhedrin, and the Sanhedrin was so worried that this guy was walking out all these miracles that everyone would believe in him. And they were worried about losing their temple and who they think. And after this miracle was the time when they came after to kill Jesus. Before that, he was an annoyance. <laughs> after this miracle, they wanted to get rid of him. And after that, he walks out his, to his death. They accredit to Jesus, yeah? So they accredit things to who Jesus was. So when we say to people that we're going to do an act or we pray over someone or we do something in someone's life, when we say it to Jesus, it talks of them. Remember in the story where he says, Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I have said it for the benefit of the people standing here that, you may, that they may believe that you have sent me. It testifies to who Jesus is. That's what these things do. So imagine if we could personally present at someone's feet a God-breathed personal message that shows that the God of the universe loves them. Remember, that's what we can do in personal people's lives. We can personally do that. And ultimately, they reveal God. Remember when Jesus said, I did, not, did, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Remember everything that goes on, and it goes on to God. And there's some things that I'll challenge later about the way people think about God. And even in the Old Testament, everything was attributed to God. If something bad happened, it was attributed to God. And I think that most often than not, it wasn't God. People ask sometimes, don't they, when, it, when you start thinking about this concept of God, what is, what is God's will in this situation? What's God's purpose? You know, we look at things that go on in our lives and we say, what is God's will? What's God's purpose? You know, I don't really understand it and stuff like that. And to me, that question is very simple. Because God is constant and he's always the same. God is love. Everything that he does is works out of love. And he, is, he sent his son to die so we could be restored back to him as sons and daughters. That's what the whole purpose of things were. Everything in the Old Testament pointed to Jesus and the act that he did for us. And he brought us back. So we need to understand that we are called to be sons and daughters and walk as sons and daughters. We're here to manifest the kingdom of God. Now. Not when it's all finished and stuff and we all die. And I love in this story, when you read the story of this, where Martha says, I didn't read it out today just for time's sake, but she says to Jesus, you know, why didn't you sort of save him? Well, she goes, he'll be saved and stuff. She goes, oh, I know, in the resurrection. He goes, no, 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 now. Yeah. We're called to bear fruit. Yeah. Why are we called to bear fruit? What is fruit? What, what are we, when it says we're here to be called to, to, to bear fruit, well, for what purpose? I think one, that we can nourish people. I think that we can actually help feed people, you know. A lot of people have a hole in their life and they have no idea why. And I really, really do believe that we can help fill that for people. But the second thing and the ultimate thing is if no one comes and picks up a piece of fruit, what does it do? It goes into the ground, hopefully finds fertile ground and it sprouts another tree. That's what we're about, yeah. We're not here to just be say, oh, we're saved. Woohoo, yeah. We're saved for a purpose and we're saved to leave a legacy, I can't sit in here and go, oh yeah, thank goodness I'm saved. What about all those poor guys over there? Do you know what I mean? It's so wrong and so out of sort. We're called to a purpose. Yeah? We're called to, to get to somewhere higher. And when I sit in and I listen to Tom's talk last week and he's inspired about what's going to happen to the next generation, it, it, it makes me, I think to myself, imagine if we could walk in our fullness. Imagine what we could do. We could fill all of these pews with young people that are on fire for God. That's what we can do. If we walk out what we could walk out, 
And I say this to myself more than anyone. Do I walk out what I could really walk out in God? Because if we don't stand in the gap, generations go without God. And it's as simple as that. We have to remember we live in a world that is under the dominion of Satan. That's the reality. People all say, oh, why doesn't God say... We are the people that step in for God. That's the way it works, yeah? So if we don't stand in the gap, no one does. And generations can go with having no idea about what God really thinks about them and loves them. And it was interesting. I was looking at... I was reading sort of about... Um, the nation of Israel, we were looking, I was looking through Romans and I reflected on it and I thought to myself, it's interesting, what was one of the major purposes of Israel? It was for God to set up an example, really, wasn't it? He, they were given godly wisdom, they were given amazing things from God. They were taken, miraculous things happening to them, they had wi- is wisdom and insight into God's thing, but ultimately it didn't work, yeah? And so I look at ourselves today and I think to myself, what are we? We are God's example. Yeah? Remember in the Old Testament, I think one of the biggest differences between the Old Testament, the New, or the Old Covenant, and the New Covenant is that it's personal. It's not a nation anymore, it's us personally. Remember, what was a sign of being a Jew in the past? Circumcision, yeah? An outward sign that you were a person of God. What does Paul say? It's a circumcision of our heart. It's us, how we act, how we interact with people. Yeah? Do people say to us, look at how much they love them, yeah? What did they say about, what did the Jews say about Jesus when he was talking, when he went to, before the Lazarus? Look how much he loves them. Do people say that about us? Do people say that, look how much we love them? Because when you start thinking about if Christians have been, for a long period of time, have been judgmental of people, when you truly understand the way God works in his love, judgment of other people is so far from where we are. I don't understand it. It's not... It's not anywhere. It's not anywhere where, where we need to be. There will be a time to help people get along, but it certainly should never be the first thing that people know about us. Okay, let's look at four things. We're going to go in fours today just to go with the theme of Lazarus in four days. Let's have four things. I want to look at four points, and there's probably many more, that stop us from walking in a supernatural on a daily basis. First one is faith. As I said in the beginning, faith is the thing that can get you in, but faith is also the thing that can hold you back. Okay? Let's remember what faith is when we think about it as well. Faith is believing in things that we can't see, that haven't happened. Yeah? Now, my faith in this book is not unfounded optimism. Yeah? Some people look at faith as, oh, yeah, well, let's just hope things go to that way. Yeah? This book is not about just some good advice. It isn't something that people should just try out. This is something that has the power to change lives. And we have to think about it like that. That's the way it is. And let's think about the faith that someone like Abraham had. Yeah? Imagine someone comes to you when you're 100 and says, you're going to father nations. (laughs) Sure. But he did. He He believed it and he lent into it and God provided. Then God challenged him with his son and he still lent into it. And he was... Yeah, he was... It says in the old... It says about Abraham that... He was, it was um, accredited to him. Before there was any time that anyone could save anyone, because remember it was under the law of death and sin, you were, everyone died. He was accredited to him, his faith. Do we have that level of faith in believing things? Because even Jesus says in Mark 4, 4 to 6 here, Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives and his, and, and his own home. He could not do miracles there except lay hands on a few of the sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. 
Yeah? So there are going to be times. Faith will be that thing that just gets in the way and stops it before it even begins. I do find it interesting, though, that he says, I couldn't do any miracles except heal a few sick people. <laughs> like, healing sick people is like right down on the miracle scale. <laughs> but do you know what I mean? Faith can get in the way if we, if we don't have that faith. And remember, sometimes it's got nothing to do with the people that we're trying to do things for. It's not on their level of faith. It should be on our level of faith. It's our faith in what can be seen in someone's life. The second thing that I think gets in the way is self, is us. Yeah, We become self-conscious instead of God-conscious. First thing that happened in the garden when he ate the tree, yeah, we went from being God-conscious to self-conscious. We get embarrassed. Yeah, we get embarrassed. We get shamed. You know what I mean? I think that we sort of say, let's think about it. We get to the point where we're going to really pray for someone in healing and stuff, and we go, right, I'm going to step out, God, and, you know, I read this stuff, and I believe in you and stuff. Now, it's the heart behind the action. It's the heart behind what we're trying to do. Because if we go out there and go, don't embarrass me, God. Don't embarrass me, man. Do you know what I mean? If I don't want to be embarrassed, don't make me look like a fool, God. If I pray for this person, don't make me look like a fool. If it doesn't happen, don't make me look like an idiot. Yeah? So we become the obstacle. Do you know the word embarrass? Some of the meanings of it is impede. It means an obstacle. Yeah? And it leads to shame. We become the obstacle. Before any God can even do anything in someone's life, we've nearly wiped it out because of the way we're asking for things. And do we test God? We pray to them, we pray for someone and we say, God, if you're really there, man, you'll do this for me. Yeah, you'll do this. You, if you love me, if you're really there, God, do this for me and stuff, yeah? And again, don't shame me, don't make me look bad. Or do we think about it bringing prestige to ourselves? I've prayed for someone before and they were healed. Right, yeah, God, let's do this again. I know how it works. Prayed and bang, there it is. Yeah? It's the heart behind what we're doing. Instead, do we see the finished work of Christ in that person? Do we breathe, a, a, a bestow a breathed gift from God to a person yeah, that helps them take away an obstacle or a fixation or a pain or an agony that is in someone's life? Is that what we're doing when we're praying for someone? Because if that is, when he says, you ask of me and I will give it, it's because you've got to ask the right question. Yeah? You can ask, can I win the lotto? I don't particularly think it's going to happen. It may do if it works for him. But I think the reality is if we ask for things like this, he will work them out. And remember, suffering and things like that that happen in many people's lives, they can distract and define a person. These things can define and distract someone so much that they will never know God in their life. And we, if we have an opportunity to help that and alleviate that, then we should take everything that we have. In Peter 4, 16, it says, However... If you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. Do we praise God when we, yeah, that we have that? Do we feel shame? Do we feel like, oh, really? Oh, I don't know if I want to share this with someone. Because if you look at Paul and if you look at Christ, they both were shamed. They were publicly beaten. Imagine being Christ on the cross when you could have called in a legion of angels, but you just did it and stood there and let it all happen. Yeah? What did they say to him when he was on the cross? If you're the king, save yourself. What did he say back? Forgive them, God, for they don't know what they do. Not only didn't he not sort of get into them, he actually said, forgive them. They don't know what they do. And in Romans 1, 16, because when I first read this and when Paul was writing this, I thought, what's well, a strange thing to say? For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it brings the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Do we believe that this book can save people's lives? In the same way that Lazarus was resurrected, do we believe that this can actually save people's lives? Because it can, and it can save people's lives forevermore, not just for now. 
Because we have to remember that Lazarus wasn't resurrected forever. He was resuscitated, pretty much. Yeah, because he would have died again. I think we need to fully get over ourselves. We need to get ourselves out of the way. And we need to see through God's eyes. What's important to God? Remember that, you know, the Holy Spirit, it convicts us of things and then it relieves us of, of those things, yeah, and sets us free. And that's what we need to help people understand is that, yeah, God will work with you and he will challenge you in things, but he will set you free because that's the way the Holy Spirit works. Do we see eyes with compassion, yeah, like he did? Do we see the world like Jesus did? In Hebrews 12, 2 to 3, fix your eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorned its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who has endured such opposition for sinners so that, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Do we as Christians sometimes get weary and, yeah, just like I've done this before and I've spoken to people and I've spoken to pretty much everyone I know in my area of influence. Yeah. Let's go back to what he did. He, he, he took the scorn of shame yeah, for us so that we could outwork, that if we walked in him and asked him for things, he will assist us in doing that. Yeah? So I think let's not ever be people that grow weary. Three, when miracles and wonders and signs become the focus, that's when things go badly. So though I stand here this morning and I say to you, I think it's important that we walk in these things. If they become the focus, things have completely gone. If miracles become the focus, it's all gone. And there's a preacher I've listened to at the moment and he calls things like healing and stuff just fun. That's the fun stuff. Yeah, it's the fun stuff. Like Jesus, you know. Healing someone was, <laughs> that's all I could do. Couldn't do much, but I could heal a few people. Do you know what I mean? But, so I think that we have to remember at the end of the day, if it actually, so remember when we said that Jesus would, would be noted because he could do wonders and miracles and signs, the apostles were noted that they could do wonders and signs. In 2 Thessalonians 2.9 it says, the coming of the lawless one or the false prophet, one will be in accordance with how Satan works. He will, use, um, he will use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders that serve the lie. So Satan also uses this because he's the great mimicker. Yeah? That's how he gets many people in his life. He mimics love. What does the media peddle all the time? Mimics love. Yeah? Desire. Misdiet desire. So I think the reality is we have to be careful. If miracles become the cons if what we want to go around doing is miracles, then we're going to fall down. Remember, if they're not a link to God or a sign or testify to Jesus or link to God's glory, then it's of no use at all. And that's what we've seen, haven't we? We've seen that around the world, and that's why people are so skeptical of these things. Because the first time, if they ever see a miracle, they just think, oh, it's just a whole lot of hogwash. And unfortunately, people have used it for that. The other thing that I think is one of the problems if miracles become the thing is that they're easily forgotten. Think about King Nebuchadnezzar. He had Daniel who was in his presence, who was a, a deliverer from, you know, someone who worked from God's perspective for him. You know, Daniel interpreted amazing dreams, you know, and gave him meaning to them. He, he was put Daniel in the fire and they didn't die, him and his fellows, and they came out again. That still wasn't enough. It wasn't until King Nebuchadnezzar had to go away and be an animal for like, what was it, seven years or something, that he finally understood who God was and came back and believed him. And remember the Israelites in the desert, yeah? Manna came down from heaven. They were guided by a cloud that shaded them during the night and was fire. It was a cloud, yeah? cloud shaded them in the day and it was fire by night. 
What did they do? They still complained about the manna. Look at this miracle that comes down from heaven every day. Yeah, and it's still... So sometimes when miracles themselves, they can be easily forgotten. They can be just, yeah, well, that happened once, but I don't know if that was really God. So miracles can never be the focus. And four, and this is a big topic, and I just want to sort of, it may ask more questions than it does, but for a lot of people out there, God, there's this seeming abandonment of humanity. I think for a lot of people, they may recognize there's a God, but they just think that he has no care for them. He doesn't really sort of thing. Okay, so again, this is a big concept, but I just want us to sort of get our head into it a little bit. And I think most people out there, yeah, they believe that God's there, but he doesn't really care. And I just want to pick up a story here. This is where Jesus had been preaching all day, and he, get, he was in a boat, and they pushed him off from the ocean, and he fell asleep. And, uh, sorry, on the lake, and he fell asleep. And then a great storm come. And this is, we break it into this story at Mark 4, 38. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care that if we, if we drown... And then Jesus goes on after this and sort of says to them, where's your level of faith? Why do you not have faith? Now, when we first look at this story, and I read a good writer on this, he said that if you look at it first, you think that, oh, they have no faith. But the reality is they have faith in the same way Martha had faith and Mary had faith that you could heal. They understood that Jesus could have stopped this. But what was the problem with them? It was because they thought that he didn't care. Jesus, do you not care about us? Do you not care? And I think there are many people in life that see if there is a God, how could he not care about us? Why doesn't he fix everything? And there's a, this writer wrote this, which I thought was quite insightful. God displays his deliverance of man to the point of despair so that his salvation will be acknowledged as totally divine. Now, if you look at the story of Lazarus when he was raised, Jesus was asked about this four days earlier, and pretty much at that time they calculated out that that's probably when Lazarus died, but he waited two days. He just stayed there for two days and then finally went there. And one of the things that he says to the disciples, I am glad I wasn't there when he died because I wanted you to know that he was dead for four days. There was no, oh, it may have happened. He may have just been asleep or a bit unwell. He was dead. He had the odor of death. So I wanted you to know that this was a miracle. So sometimes things walk out because it's because God will bring greater glory. And I heard a speaker say the other week, which I thought was quite insightful, Waiting on God is never being judged by God, yeah? It brings greater glory to what's going to happen. And I know there's people in the house that can testify that sometimes walking these things out aren't just instantaneous. They walk out for a long period of time. So yes, there are horrible things that happen in the world, but let's just remember that this is Satan's world. He has dominion over it, yeah? And we're the people who stand in the gap, yeah? God is there, but he's got to work out through people, Remember who the real enemy is. It's never people. People are never the true enemy. Remember who influences and does things in this world. Second bit of this, and I heard this from a speaker, Dan Moller, and I think this is an important truth that challenged me greatly. And to be fair, I've had to repent of this actual the theory around this because I've held it for a long period of time. And this is Paul with the thorn in his side. Okay, Many people have said that it was an illness that Paul had and he couldn't cure it. Let's pick this story up in 2 Corinthians 12, 7 to 9. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Because, because he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so that Christ's power may rest on me. 
Now, many people, and for me, for a long period of time, I actually saw this as that he had some illness or something that he had that he just couldn't cure, and God said, no, just put up with it. But then when you read so many things in here where it says that we should pray for people when they're being, and they will be healed and stuff, it's sort of like, well, you can pray for some things, but there's some that are sort of off limit. And this person that I listened to, he challenged this, and he said it's actually very easy to answer what Paul is actually talking about here if we actually look at it in context of the gospel. Let's go back to where Paul was first made a disciple, yeah? Very dramatic thing on the road to Damascus. He was cast down. And this is, um, let's pick the story up in Acts 9, 15 to 16. And this is where Ananias, a person who was going to go, had to go and talk to Paul, he said, But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles, to their kings, and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So Paul was told when he started he was going to suffer for, for what Christ was going to walk him through, that God was going to walk him through. And if you read Paul, he starts to talk about when he follows the Holy Spirit, that every town that he went to, he knew what was coming. He knew that he was going to be beaten, he was going to be put in jail. Things bad were going to happen to him. Now, I think the point of this is, is that then when, Paul, when, when you put that in the light of when Paul says, um, and God says to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, that actually sort of means, well, okay, it's because every time you're going to go somewhere, you're going to get in trouble, you're going to be beaten, you're going to have a real hard time, but don't worry, I've got your back. In the same way, when Jesus went to the cross, he pleaded with him, please take this away from me, but I'm still going to outwork what you want in my life. Yeah, and God still brought him out every time. So if... So when we look at this and when Paul says this, I don't think that he's talking about an illness that he couldn't cure. He was talking about, please God, have you got my back? Because, you know, every time I go there, I just get beaten and I get hammered and stuff like that, which to me makes a lot more sense because then, that, then I can believe that there is a God that is miraculous who's, who changes things, and not that he has limitations on that. And we need to walk out that truth and I think believe it. Okay, let's have four things to take away. Take away. First, I think we must believe that miracles and signs and wonders are things that can actually happen in our life. Very basic truth, yeah? We must first believe others. When someone says that this has happened, let's be the first response in our mind is, oh, this has actually happened, not something that we go, oh, yeah, that's a bit cynical, yeah? Yeah, we're actually, if you read the, the letters in the book, the letters are people that are going, this is true accounts, this is what's happened. Do we believe in the same way? Do we have that? We're called to have childlike faith and called to believe in things, yeah? So we're given wisdom later, to work out if something's actually not true and if it was a hoax and stuff. But the reality is, let us be first a people who believe. Because I think in this Western culture, we become very cynical. We are highly cynical people. So let us first be people that believe. Secondly, let's walk in the gifts of the Spirit. Yeah, the reality is the Spirit is the thing that is going to walk out all these things in our life. Yeah? It is the force behind all miracles. So let's look at those just quickly in 1 Corinthians 12, 7 to 10. Now to each one... The manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. So remember, all these things that we are given, they are for the common good of people. To one who is given the spirit of um, the message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by the, the means of the same Spirit, so all the same. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, the gift of healing um, by, the, by the one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning between spirits, to another speaking in different tongues, and to others the interpretation of tongues. So the reality is, do we ask for these? Do we, on a daily basis in our life, say, Lord, please provide me these spirits, the manifestation of these spirits, so I can walk them out in my life? And I would pray, I'd pray for all of us in this house, if we can figure out what 
ours is and we can walk to that diligently, this place will be an entirely different place. And the world and our community and everything extending from that. But I hear some of you say, that sounds like a bit of an evangelist job. That's not me. I'm quiet. I don't like getting out there and doing all that stuff in front of people's face. I'm an introvert. So like for you extroverts doing that, but I don't particularly want to do that. But let's look in Romans 12, 6 to 8. We have different types of gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If it is a gift of prophecy, then let's prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is to serve, then serve. If it is to teach, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, then do it cheerfully. We can work in every one of those areas in miraculous ways. We can prophesy into someone's life that there are amazing things that don't look possible now, that are going to happen in your life. Yeah, we can have discerning spirits for people. We can have things that work. So I think in all areas, we can work out of these spirits. This isn't just for people who are evangelists. This is for people who, every day, who can walk these sorts of things out. And the world needs the gifts that God wants to give to us. Nice and simple. The world needs it, I think. Can we get ourselves out of the way and walk in what we should? Number three. We will, know, we will never know what we could be if we don't ask. We'll never know whether we can walk in these things. If we don't lay ourselves down daily and walk in step with the Holy Spirit, we'll never know whether these things are there. And we need, to take, we need to be bold and take opportunities to see through his eyes and see whether we can do these things. Because we have the power to save lives. Just like Lazarus' life, we can bring people to eternal life. We should never, ever underestimate that. And fourth... Do we let our life experience dictate everything? Do we let it guide our entire life? What do most people say when they get older, a bit like me and stuff, and some of the older people in the room, yeah? I've made so many mistakes, I'm wise now, yeah? How do we gain wisdom in life? We make a whole lot of mistakes. And we can look at these young people and go, <laughs> yes. And the only reason we know anything about anything is because we've made a million mistakes like they have, and they haven't got there yet. But do we let that be the only teacher of our life, or do we let the good news, yeah, be the thing that guides our life. Yeah. Oh, I tried that once. I tried to pray for someone once. It didn't work. <laughs> Let's leave that alone. I don't want to do that again, you know. It made me embarrassed. I don't want to do that. You know, are we people who let this guide our life or do we let all of the experiences in our life be the thing that dictate us? And for many people, they do. But do we realize that this book has power? It's called the good news. Let's never underestimate the word good. God created the universe and pulled it into existence. And what did he say? It is good. He didn't say it was amazing, it was awesome. He says it was good. Yeah? So let's remember that this is good news that radically has the power to change people's lives in a radical way for the better. And remember what Kath and Sarah both preached on a while ago, that there are power in words. There are power in words. So let me finish with this thought. 1 Peter 4.11. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. Do when we speak into people, when we speak to people, do we actually believe that this is the words of God? If anyone serves, then, let, then they should do so with the strength of God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ, to him the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Are we people that walk out this stuff? Yeah. Let us please be people that have miraculous faith. Let's see if we can change our society. Thank you. That was a great word. Thank you, Swelly. And 
We're going to sing in a moment and get out to the sausages and cakes, but I just wanted to add a quick couple of little thoughts briefly because everyone probably wants to get out there. Um, just a little tip, and Swelly touched on this, that um, I guess we've learnt and it's been, well, we've heard messages on it too. If we want to see miracles, do you know in the Bible, and Swelly touched on this when he said, can we get ourselves out of the way? Miracles most often happen in the Bible for those who are serving or Jesus was always serving others. That's how he saw miracles. But just to illustrate my point, in the, the first miracle that Jesus ever did was when he turned water to wine at a wedding. And the people at the wedding were partying and Jesus' mother came out and said, the wine's all gone, what are we going to do? And Jesus is like, my time hasn't come yet. <laughs> um, but then she's like, we need the wine. And so Jesus went to the servants and said, fill out these jars of water. And the servants saw the water turn into wine. And it says the people at the party didn't see what happened. It was the servants who actually saw the miracle. And I think there's something really powerful in that is we're not looking to our own selves and just so busy, this is my life, what I'm doing, blah, blah, blah. But as we actually lay down our own agendas and we commit to serving others, serving in the house, I think is also a part of that. That's when we see the miracles. The same with the loaves and the fishes. There was 5,000 people there. The 5,000 all didn't see what happened with the loaves and the fishes. It was the 12 disciples there with Jesus who were just passionate to feed the people and saying, God, we want to feed the people, but we don't have enough. And then Jesus said, bring it to me. And in front of the disciples, he turned the loaves and the fishes, he multiplied and he fed the 5,000. Again, it was the servants, the ones there serving others. The prostitute who washed Jesus' feet. She saw the miracle of salvation. She was serving Jesus. And I just want to finish with this story because I think it's such a beautiful story. This is what it says about this. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him. So Jesus went into the Pharisee's house and sat at the table. A sinful woman um, in 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 the town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she bought an alabaster jar of perfume and stood behind Jesus at his feet crying. She began to wash his feet with her tears and she dried them with her hair, kissing them many times and rubbing them with the perfume. When the Pharisees who asked Jesus to come to his house saw this, he thought to himself, if Jesus were a prophet, he would know that the woman touching him is a sinner. And how amazing, he didn't say that, he just thought that. And then Jesus said to the Pharisee, Simon, I have something to say to you. Simon said, teacher, tell me. Jesus said, two people owed money to the same banker. One owed 500 coins and the other owed 50. They had no money to pay what they owed, but the banker told both of them they did not have to pay him. Which person will love the banker more? Simon the Pharisee answered, I think it would be the one who owed him the, the most money. Jesus said to Simon, you were right. Then Jesus turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? When I came into your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she washed my feet with her tears and she dried them with her hair. You gave me no kiss of greeting, but she's been kissing my feet since I came in. You did not put oil on my head, but she poured perfume on my feet. I tell you that her many sins are forgiven. So she showed great love. But the person who is forgiven only a little will only love a little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. And then all the Pharisees said, who is this man? How does he think he can do this? And Jesus said to the woman, because you believed you were saved from your sins, go in peace. I just love this picture. This woman said nothing. She just came to serve at Jesus' feet. She washed him, washed his feet with her hair. And she came in brokenness. And I think I touched on this a little while ago, but as we just serve 
and we come to Jesus with our brokenness and not our fancy offerings, not having our lives together. Like Swelly said, we don't have to be perfect or a gifted evangelist. That's when the miracles happen. And she received the greatest miracle, the miracle of salvation. And just a little side note I love on this story. Um, this woman knew the way to the Pharisee's house. She knew exactly how to get there and where to go. And I've heard someone say before, how did she know how to get there? Maybe she had been to the Pharisee's house before and that's why they were so judgmental of her and that's why they knew exactly everything she had done. But anyway, let's stand. The point of all that was to encourage us as we serve, as we come and lay down our own agendas, our own, even our own pride. That woman laid down her own pride and just knelt at Jesus' feet. That's when Jesus performs the miracles. And if you're not seeing miracles... I ask you this question, are you serving in any area? Are you serving people? The greatest miracles Josh and I have seen are as I pray for women at Playgroup who can't have babies. They get pregnant. As There's other women at Playgroup who say their babies are going to be born with disabilities. We pray for them and their babies are born perfectly healthy. We minister to kids at youth who are broken and they find healing. Um, Josh ministers to men on the work site who are just struggling with depression and something lifts. So what I'm saying is as you serve people and take your eyes off yourself, that's when you're going to see the greatest miracles. May that be a challenge and an encouragement for us. And thank you, Swelly, for bringing that awesome word. Thanks, team. We're going to sing with praise and then go eat some sausages.